So today I'm excited to be sharing a little bit more about the Crime Survivor Speak podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be hearing from crime survivors from across the country, uh, from, from California uh, to Florida to, to Michigan, uh, even all the way down there uh, in Texas. Uh, crime survivors, you know, who are victims of uh, gun violence, uh, domestic violence, sexual assault, individuals who have turned uh, their worst a- experiences uh, into power. Uh, by changing policies and laws and advocating for more resources um, in communities. Um, We'll also uh, hear about the history of crime survivors for safety and justice and why CSSJ uh, was founded uh, back in 2013. So today I'm excited to be with the co-founder of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, uh, Ms. Lenore Anderson. Great to be here with you on the inaugural podcast of Crime Survivors Speak, Aswan. Thank you. Thank you so much for for being here. So Lenore, we'd love to hear, um, you know, the beginnings of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. You know, why did you decide to elevate the voices of survivors and and what made you uh, form Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice? When we got together and decided to create Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, I would have had no idea that it would become the phenomena it is today. And your leadership in particular has been such a difference maker on our journey to grow this network. We started off in California, one state, and we started off at a time when there was more discussion around this idea of criminal justice reform, but there was this continued myth that keeps preventing criminal justice reform from emerging as possible, which is this myth that the criminal justice system and all of the policies that oversee that system are for the benefit of public safety, for the benefit of victims of crime. Historically, California was actually one of the leaders in the tough on crime movement and this movement to build prison after prison and call it public safety. In fact, at that time, there was a growing victims' rights movement that really, at the level of politics, aligned with that law and order call for prisons. And so a lot of this mass incarceration came from this political agenda of building out prisons in the name of victims' rights. I'm an attorney. I was just before starting out doing this work as an advocate. I worked kind of on all sides of the criminal justice system. I used to be an advocate for uh, youth who were facing incarceration, and I learned Uh, deeply uh, the experiences of victimization that so many young people had before ever committing a crime and how disregarded those young people were in those experiences. And then I also worked in the prosecutor's office and I saw firsthand how many survivors didn't have case closure. There was no resolution. Nothing really happened positive in response. And For me, this idea that all this mass incarceration was for safety really didn't resonate with my experiences working 
in criminal justice. Those calls for law and order and victims' rights that ended up ushering in mass incarceration really missed an opportunity to listen to the millions of everyday people directly affected by crime and violence. So all that mass incarceration was in the name of victims, but missed an opportunity to really talk to and engage with everyday people across the country. I was lucky enough to get together with some of the best and brightest thinkers on the issues that survivors face, and we decided together to create a new expression. Your average member of the public that's not affected by this issue, it might be surprising to them to hear that most victims of crime don't actually endorse this mass incarceration approach to safety. In fact, most victims of crime aren't even really helped by the criminal justice system. Those are kind of shocking facts to people who aren't personally familiar with the world that we live in and the issues that we work on all day. So we wanted to create a network and really elevate the voices and really bring folks who have survived harm, who have survived crime, bring folks together and say, what do you want? What does public safety look like to you? And let me just tell you a little bit about uh, some of those leaders that I was lucky enough to uh, coordinate with to get crime survivors for safety and justice off the ground. Um, You know, Aswad, uh, one of your favorite people and mine, Mr. Robert Rooks, who is uh, one of the long-term leaders in criminal justice reform across the country. He was a co-founder with me uh, of Alliance for Safety and Justice, which is our sort of um, mothership organization, and then also co-founded with me uh, Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. And uh, Robert Rooks is now the CEO of our uh, partner organization, Reform Alliance, doing even bigger things uh, with Reform Alliance. And then we also had Akila Shareels, who is internationally recognized for his leadership on violence prevention and doing it through community-based public safety strategies. Akila was right there with me and Robert. And then Sujatha Baliga who's internationally recognized for her leadership, advancing restorative justice and advancing that model of healing first, repairing harm as a way to uh, 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 recover for survivors, recover for communities and recover for people who've committed harm. So, you know, those are some uh, giants to say the least. And uh, we were so uh, lucky to get together, the four of us, and kind of imagine the question, what would it look like if people directly impacted by crime and violence who've also seen the failings of the justice system were to imagine a different approach And from there, Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice was born. Awesome. Thank you, Lenore, for that brief history. So at Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, one of our biggest events is our annual Survivor Speak uh, conference where we bring uh, survivors, you know, from across the state. Uh, Many of our survivors are driving, uh, taking buses, often uh, sometimes take planes, you know, to go to the state capitol uh, for the first time. And so these events are now hosted 
in, in Texas and in, in Florida and Illinois and uh, in, in Michigan, Ohio, um, even in, in California. Lenore, can you talk about that first experience of bringing those survivors from California uh, to the state capitol to the first time? And what was the experience of that? What were legislators saying um, at that time of seeing so many survivors from underserved communities in the state capitol? It's amazing to see how much the Survivor Speak events have grown, isn't it? I, you know, yes. I, I love, I love this story because we're talking about, you know, a hundred or so people who got on buses and and met in Sacramento, the capital of California, in 2013, all the way to, you know, uh, the year before COVID hit, we were in eight states. Uh, with literally hundreds and hundreds in each capital all across the country. So this story of growth is just so inspiring to me. That uh, that first uh, Survivor Speak event in California, it was really born out of the notion that, um, frankly, our, our legislators kind of had the wrong information. Historically, California was actually one of the leaders in the tough on crime movement, in the movement to build prison after prison and call that public safety. This was kind of the home for that. And it really came from California and then spread across the country. This is the state that built, you know, 22 prisons in just a 25 year period and only one university. And at the time, when you would talk to legislators in the state capitol, it was this fear of like, oh, we can't, you know, we can't reform criminal justice or think about public safety different because we can't be looking like we're anti-victim or like mm-hmm. we're anti-public safety. And so we wanted to break through that. We wanted to break through that myth and kind of shake up the perspective here. And mm-hmm. uh, we know that everyday people all across California do not endorse the prison first approach. It takes money from communities, from prevention, from the safety solutions that communities need. So anyways, we, um, you know, we uh, chartered a few buses. We brought people up from Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, and we gathered and um, we uh, gathered at a hotel and then we marched to the state capitol. But let me tell you, folks showed up in that that morning. I mean, you know, if you're not from California, it's a big state, right? You know, it's eight eight to 10 hours, right, to get from San Diego by, by bus all the way up to Sacramento. The buses broke down. You know, the, 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 some of the buses didn't have the, you know, the food that people needed or the support, you know, we get to, uh, the hotel and people are exhausted and people are hungry and they're like, why are we doing this again? Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we start marching, right? So we give people uh, a good breakfast and try and welcome everyone with open arms into Sacramento. And then, People start feeling better, talking to each other, hugging, you know, and then we start marching. And it was like exhilarating Mm. because nothing like this had ever happened before. You know, where you had people from, you know, Fresno, um, from down south, from even from Sacramento. We had some local people see the march and come running up. Yeah. (laughs) And then we get to the state capitol and we do a healing circle the power of what you just described at the beginning, right? This concept of healing to action 
is real, right? You can feel it when you're with the folks that we uh, organize and we're in the state capitol. And then we started walking the halls. Yeah. A group of crime survivors for safety and justice folks sat down with a legislator who, you know, they kind of look down, they're busy people, you know, okay, another group, they kind of think they know what you're going to say. That's like how it works in mm-hmm. state capitals, right? Yeah. It's people just think they know. They're like, yeah, hey, okay, you're here for that issue. You're here for that issue. So when, when we say like, you know, crime survivors for safety and justice, you, a lot of people are still living in that universe. They think you're going to be like, oh, and you know, we want you to build more prisons or we want you to be Mm -hmm. tougher on laws and we want you to, you know, do more surveillance and more, you know, you know, containment policies. And instead, you know, you know, the members would describe like, Hey, not in my name, like, please, Mm -hmm. please don't actually think that this is better for public safety. And it's like silence. I mean, it's like never heard anything like this before. And I remember one legislator kind of looked up, you know, and said, where have you been for the last 30 years? Like this would have changed everything had we had this perspective in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s, when that mass incarceration movement was on the march. And so we said, well, we're here now. Wow, that that uh, you know, is, it, as, as you're talking, Lenore, I'm getting chills over here. I'm just really thinking about the impact uh, that survivors speak um, have on our crime survivor members. Uh, for many of those survivors, um, it's their first time going to the state capitol. You know, these are you know, I'm thinking of Ohio, uh, where the state capitol is in Columbus. Uh, we have a chapter there in Cleveland in Mansfield, which is, you know, an hour, hour and a half from Columbus. Our Cincinnati chapter is like two and a half hours. But these are members who have never been to their state capital before to advocate around, you know, policies that affect them and in, in, in their experiences that they went through. So when survivors are at the capital, it's almost, you know, you know, those first moments where people feel like they can make change, that they can impact policy. And, and that's the importance of this work of, of not only organizing in local communities, but most importantly, having a voice, having a presence at the state capitol with legislators, having that presence uh, with those leaders in their districts, um, as well as continue to see crime survivors, you know, people that look like me who have been a victim um, and making sure that my, my voice is heard and the voices of so many survivors are heard. Um, which for decades, you know, our voices have been at the Capitol. So that's why I'm excited uh, just about that annual Survivor Speak event that continues to grow uh, and, and get bigger. And I think it's because of the impact and just how people feel after leaving that event was like, I came here to make a difference and I did make that difference and I will continue to make a difference on, on, on policies. And that is the other thing that's just been eye-watering about what's happened in the country in the last mm-hmm. nine years. Right. And certainly there was no perspective that being pro criminal justice reform would be something that was also pro victim or pro safety. Mm -hmm. Right. Like those things just didn't live together. And in the last 10 years, you know, we've started to see this completely new conversation emerge like you were describing. But it's also really impacted policy. I mean, you know, in the in the state's. That 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 you're working in that where we have chapters, right? We're introducing legislation to change victim compensation policy mm-hmm. 
I mean, you know, most people don't even realize that a lot of victims of crime literally never, like never get financial support, never get support to move out of unsafe conditions, Mm -hmm. never get support with mental health recovery, trauma recovery. So it's so exciting to me to see this idea that, hey, we're, we're interested in policies that not just reduce the waste that's going into too much incarceration, but really bring the new approach forward, which is about more victim compensation for survivors, mm-hmm. more trauma recovery. What's the latest on how many trauma recovery centers? To, is, talk about that model and, and, and like how many we have now and stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah, so the trauma recovery uh, center model, um, so is is a comprehensive uh, model, um, you know, that was really uh, was designed to meet the needs of, of victims who are falling through the cracks. Um, you know, uh, traditional uh, victim services, even you know, things like victim compensation are often tied to the justice system. So the trauma recovery center, uh, you know, works to provide uh, mental health services. Um, criminal justice advocacy uh, help victims uh, apply for that um, that 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 very challenging victim uh, compensation program. While folks are dealing with trauma, folks are expected to you know to get your latest tax returns, to get all of this documentation in order to access victim compensation. Often are handed that uh, that that form you know at, at a hospital or handed uh, that form while they are still grieving. So the trauma recovery centers help you know provide mental health services. Help with the housing, uh, relocation is needed. That individual or group counseling um, uh, is needed. Also, helping connect people back to work um, or, or back to their uh, local uh, uh, faith-based uh, uh, community that they may not have um, been able to uh, get support for, have been connected after they become became a victim of a crime. So, the trauma recovery center model. We started with one uh, TRC uh, in twenty fourteen. Now we have. 39 trauma recovery centers across the country uh, in nine states. Uh, so, you know, from Florida, you know, to Illinois, where we have eight, Ohio, we have eight in, in, in the growing. We even have a trauma recovery center in, in Iowa and continue to work to expand uh, this model uh, that works in partnership, that's community-based, work in partnership with hospitals, work in partnership with DAs and prosecutors um, and, and law enforcement to ensure that Long after, you know, a, a case is over, survivors need help. Um, we also know that, you know, majority of crime victims don't come in contact uh, with the justice system. Um, so the Trauma Recovery Center is designed that you are a survivor of a crime. You can literally knock on the door, uh, tell them that you've been a victim of a crime, and they're going to provide uh, that support. Uh, that is critical um, for all victims of violent crime. And I just thinking about my experience of, of being a victim of gun violence, you know, after I got shot, you know, after I was, you know, I was released from the hospital um, with no support. Um, so the hospital never uh, followed up with me. I remember law enforcement came to visit me several times as I'm recovering uh, on my mother's one bedroom apartment on this old couch uh, that wasn't uh, comfortable at all. So I remember, um, you know, law enforcement came to visit me and each time they came to visit me, it was always about the case. Um, It was always about the case. They never asked me how I was doing. Uh, They never told me about the victim's compensation program. Uh, they never told me that there was a victim advocate in their department who supposed to work with uh, uh, victims like myself. And they never, you know, kind of helped to make any referrals to victim services to help me uh, deal 
uh, with the PT- PTSD to help me deal with the flashbacks and nightmares uh, that I was going through to help me, you know, kind of cope and heal from not only the physical wounds, but the psychological um, uh, impact of, of being a victim of violence. So I think about, you know, what if there was a TRC uh, in my community after I got shot? I'd have been able to be released from that hospital and connected uh, to victim services uh, like a trauma recovery center model. But most importantly, I think about uh, what if uh, the young man who shot me, who was shot four years prior at the age of 14, what if he had a trauma recovery center uh, in his community when he became a victim of gun violence at 14 years old? Uh, Maybe I wouldn't have never uh, got shot. Uh, Maybe I would, you know, today would be wrapping up my professional basketball career in Europe, but unfortunately, because there was there aren't systems in place, there isn't the infrastructure for victim services and communities, and often that unaddressed trauma, what we continue to hear and see uh, every day, often leads to further uh, victimization as well. Yeah, and that you know, in that trauma recovery center model, you know, listening to you, and I know this happens when I describe that model to other people, it's so obvious. You know, mm-hmm. it's so basic. And it's Mm -hmm. stunning that something so basic as helping someone who has been harmed by violence recover from that trauma is missing from Mm -hmm. our approach to public safety. So, you know, every person who gets that opportunity to get a service through a trauma recovery center is someone who can help someone else too, you you know, so it's, um, it's just such a powerful concept and, and something I just can't wait to see grow even more. It, it should be on every corner, really. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. it should be ubiquitous. There's compensation reform, and the idea there is to make sure uh, the victims who need compensation assistance get it, and there's not a red tape barrier. There's not uh-huh. an eligibility barrier. So we're trying to end the discrimination in that process. Uh, We've had so much success, like you said, with the trauma recovery center model and, you know, expanding housing assistance, employment assistance, all those things to survivors of crime. And then there's the whole vision and leadership that survivors provide for what the criminal justice system, system should be up to above and beyond helping survivors heal. There's something also really obvious, which is what's in the best interest of people who've been harmed by crime and violence is a justice system that can actually rehabilitate people, a justice system that can actually address the drivers of crime, prevent crime. That's an effective justice system. And that's just not what we have had for decades in this country. But survivor leaders like you are are calling for that change. So in California, we've been able to uh, pass ballot initiatives like Proposition 47 and 57, which have really reduced unnecessary incarceration in the state prisons and also captured that prison's money and put it into mental health Mm -hmm. treatment, youth programs, trauma recovery centers, right? The things that communities have been crying out for for decades is what we've seen when you start to reduce that incarceration, you can balance out that spending and and put it where it should have been in the first place. So we've seen some successes in California related to this. In Illinois, 
we were able to both um, initiate and expand the trauma recovery center model in that state at the same time that we passed legislation to expand earned credit and rehabilitative programs so that people could have shortened sentences that were more productive, shortened sentences that allowed people to actually return to communities and um, reintegrate. And, you know, we've seen the same thing in Florida, in Texas. These are the basic policies that consider safety first and consider the needs of people who've been most harmed by crime and violence first. You just uh, made me think about our crime survivor members, you know, who have been, you know, on the front lines of changing policies. I think about uh, in Michigan, uh, one of our members, Priscilla Bordeo, who's a, a victim of childhood uh, sexual assault. I remember when I first met Priscilla um, almost uh, two years ago, uh, during that first meeting uh, with her, you know, just talking about our work at Crime Survivor for Safety and Justice and, 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 and us wanting to develop a, a chapter in Lansing, Michigan, in the state capital where she is from. Uh, I remember asking Priscilla, um, like, you know, what, what, is, what is her ultimate goal? Uh, Priscilla mentioned that, you know, as what I want to help advocate, you know, to bring more services and resources to my community, but also want to, you know, I, I want to, you know, work on a bill to change policies one day. You know, fast forward, you know, a, a year later, a year later, Priscilla, you know, was one of our leading advocates and testifying at committee hearings and, and participating in the press conferences was also at the bill signing of the uh, clean slate uh, bill that we passed uh, in Michigan. So just to see uh, someone like Priscilla uh, who joined our network um, was able to get the training um, leadership development uh, that she wanted and ultimately, you know, accomplished that goal of, of helping to change uh, that bill in Michigan uh, for clean slate. I'm also uh, thinking about uh, Megan Hobson um, in Florida, who's a survivor of gun violence. Uh, like myself, Megan was shot in the drive-by shooting when she was uh, only 16 uh, years old. Uh, and, and that uh, incident, uh, you know, changed her life uh, physically um, and also uh, financially and also psychologically. Um, as well. Uh, Megan, uh, over the years, have become one of our most, uh, you know, powerful uh, leaders, one of our youngest leaders um, in the movement, was able to, you know, play a lead role in, in passing HB 7125 uh, in Florida uh, two years ago, which was the, you know, the, the most progressive uh, criminal justice bill uh, that's been passed in Florida in almost uh, two decades. I'm also thinking about uh, Kamisha Coleman, um, in Dallas, Texas, uh, Kamisha is, is, is a victim uh, of domestic violence who played a key role uh, for us in passing our probation uh, reform bill um, in Texas as well. So crime survivors are not only, you know, helping to advocate to bring more resources and services, but also leveraging um, and, and bringing their voices to the table as it relates to criminal justice uh, reform. Because uh, as survivors, we know that, you know, locking people up and throwing away the key, uh, that has never made uh, safe. Um, and when you talk to survivors and you listen to survivors, what we want most is what happened to us not to happen again. We also want what happened to us not to happen to someone else. And we want those who, who know who may have caused harm. We want them to be better. Uh, that includes uh, really uh, more rehabilitation, 
uh, for people who are currently in the justice system, but also when people are exit, exiting out of the justice system, ensuring that those individuals have access to housing, have access uh, to jobs, education opportunity, things to help stop uh, the cycle of, of violence uh, and crime uh, in communities. So I'm excited and, and I just want to thank you, Lenore, um, for one, for founding Crimes Fires for Safety uh, and Justice, which started with just a few people. Now we are 70,000 members across the country uh, and, and growing as well. So just thank you for your leadership in this work. You were saying you got chills earlier. I was just getting chills listening to you right there. I mean, talking about the leaders that you have been working with across the country, it is just awesome. How many how many people have you have you guys trained at this point? How many people has Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice trained in leadership development, in policy? I mean, that's it's hard work to write to to want to do something and then and then get the training and know how to do it. Wow. And so, you know, through our work, leadership development is huge, not only for us as as a network, but what we continue to hear from crime survivors is that, you know, um, organizing, uh, civic engagement, uh, policy, that's part of the healing journey for so many survivors. So over the years, uh, we've been able to train in at least 3000 uh, crime survivors in, uh, you know, from trainings as relates to uh, communications, uh, organizing, uh, storytelling, uh, digital advocacy. Uh, with the increase of, of of Zoom, we've been training our crime survivors on how to use Zoom and facilitate uh, meetings in Zoom. So we've been trained, been able to train thousands of people with those skills uh, that's needed to change policies. You know, to to speak to the media and also to organize other crime survivors in their community as well. It's just such deep power building work first. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's deep and it's power building, but there's something else that you're describing. It's embedded in, in so much of what we do is this idea that civic engagement is actually a healing opportunity Mm -hmm. for people, right? This, you know, the, the, this idea that survivors need a voice, not just in the, in the courtroom, but in the court, I mean, in the state houses, right. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in the, in Washington DC too, right. You know, this idea that, um, we're providing a vehicle for people to have influence where they should have influence it and that that's an empowering part of healing. It's just, it's beautiful. Yep. And, and as we say at Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, when survivors speak, uh, change happens. And so over, you know, as I mentioned, we have 70,000 members. We have 40 uh, chapters and, and, and leaders and, and dozens of partner organizations uh, that we work with uh, across the country. You know, we are growing um, our, our, our members. And so we have a, you know, a three year goal to, you know, to organize and recruit 300,000 uh, crime survivors, you know, over the next uh, three years and develop more chapters and train uh, more leaders. Um, also, we want to continue to, you know, really elevate and bring a new voice uh, to policy uh, conversations uh, across states and also across uh, this country um, as well. Um, we are continuing to organize uh, those crime survivors who are uh, the most harmed, uh, but are the least uh, supported. Uh, that must change and that will change uh, with the, you know, the growing movement of, of crime survivors for safety uh, and justice. And so uh, I'm excited uh, to, you know, to be having our first ever Crime Survivor Speak uh, podcast. Uh, once again, uh, you're going to be hearing from crime survivors, you know, some of those leaders that that we've mentioned uh, today, you know, individuals who are healing 
uh, through action. We're going to hear on, you know, how getting involved in, in policy work, how have that uh, impacted themselves, their family, uh, and, and their community. We're also going to hear from experts, uh, experts uh, on how we can advocate for resources at the federal uh, level and at the state level to ensure that, you know, uh, community-based organizations, you know, those mom and pop uh, organizations who have been doing the work uh, in communities for decades. These are the community violence interventionists who are putting their lives on the line, um, but unfortunately don't have enough resources to hire more staff uh, to really build the capacity of the or So we're going to be hearing from experts, you know, who can provide uh, information and expertise on how government leaders, how state leaders, and how communities can access uh, uh, funding our uh, resources through things like the American uh, Rescue Plan to really uh, meet the needs of crime survivors uh, in communities. Um, so join uh, this, join this, uh, this conversation, uh, join this Crime Survivors Speak podcast, and join our movement. Uh, so I just want to uh, thank you again, uh, Lenore, uh, for your leadership and, and co-founding Crime Survivors for Safety uh, and Justice, and, and thank you for being part of our first episode of the Crime Survivors Speak podcast. It's an honor and um, I'm excited to see where this goes. Thank you so much. Stay tuned, everyone. Uh, Crime Survivors Week podcast coming soon. Yeah,